boss babe Jamie O'Banion launched Beauty Bio in 2011 with one mission, truth in beauty. After working alongside her father in their family-owned cosmetic lab and learning to speak beauty as a second language, Jamie witnessed prestige brands using minimal concentrations of active ingredients to save on costs but still making clinical claims. Having created several best-selling formulas, Jamie and her father were ready to design a line that was not only efficacious, but formula-honest and results-driven. Inspired to pull back the industry's curtain, the duo launched the first-ever at-home patented microneedling tool in 2016 designed to place the results of in-office treatments in consumers' hands without the per-treatment price tag. Today, Jamie sits down with me to talk all about STEM and her love for education from a young age, work ethic, and balancing career and motherhood. She shares her secret formula for success that she teaches her children and is dedicated to practicing herself and what she wants them to always put first in order to succeed in life. Okay, today I am so thrilled to have Jamie O'Banion with me. She is a girl boss that I just admire so much, and I'm so thrilled to have a few minutes to talk to her and ask her some of my burning questions. So say hi, Jamie. (laughs) Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so Jamie, I want to get started with your just background in STEM and what, how that was even an interest for you as a young girl. Cause I've heard you talk about that before. And I have a little girl, Annabelle, who is eight years old and she is obsessed with how things work and with science and she loves math. And so I just, I want to hear about your background and, and what your parents did right. And what happened to you in your childhood that encouraged you to go kind of on that journey. I love that. No, that's such a great question. And as a mother myself with a son and two young daughters, I think there is this cultural, natural expectation that boys tend to be good at or better than perhaps their female counterparts when it comes to science and math. And if you look at that statistically, that's really just not the case. And my hope is that whomever, whichever gender has an interest in um, science, math, and um, really that, you know, a STEM-focused curriculum will feel confident in pressing forward. And I think there's been a massive shift when you look at schools of engineering and even business and uh, women to men ratio, which is great and exciting. And that's been a really important conversation. And as a mother, I want to foster whatever my children are passionate about if they want to be an equestrian writer, go out and be, you know, the best that you can. If they want mm-hmm. to be a, you know, a science professor one day, fantastic, or a biologist, whatever. Um, so I think for me, at least, um, my father's a physician and I grew up in a household that um, talked about science and uh, I will say, you know, broader subjects regularly. Yeah. You know, we never, I never remember talking about people or even something that was necessarily going on at that moment uh, in someone's life, unless it was a you know deeper, broader conversation. So a lot of just philosophy and um, just great thinking dialogue, which um, I'm grateful for because I think we often emulate what we grew up around. Yeah. So a very thought-provoking conversation. And um, I really fell in love with um, chemistry and science 
when I started at Hawkeye, which is an all girls school in Dallas. Mm-hmm. And it is a fairly academically rigorous school. Um, it's not maybe a fit for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, however, if you thrive in that type of environment, it really is so fun. The going from a public school to then this setting, having the science lab that we had, um, having some, you know, Jacques Cousteau coming to speak before his passing, you know, to the students and just some amazing experiences. And one thing that I am grateful my parents and especially my dad, I think that relationship between a father and his daughter, um, I never felt that I was treated any differently from my brothers in terms of what I wanted to achieve in my life. And I think that's really, really important. And I'm just thinking out loud, you know, in hindsight yeah. here. Um, and I remember I had a quote that I had written on a piece of paper and Sharpie on the back of my door growing up. And it said, reach for the moon. If you fall short, you might just land on a star. And I think it is such a great metaphor for life because there's 0% opportunity for you to achieve a really ambitious goal if you don't try for it. And even if you don't hit that, you know, number one, you know, dream wish, you're going to land in a much better position than you would have if you just gave up from the beginning. And um, when it comes to STEM learning, I was very much encouraged to um, pursue whatever was interesting or thought provoking to me. So I think that uh, confluence of having a father, very science minded, who I was very, very close to, and I'm still very close to, um, never feeling that it was something that I should or shouldn't focus on as compared to my brothers. And I had three older brothers, two, two younger sisters. Um, and then being in an environment academically where there was very much an expectation of not just are you going to go out and do great things? It's what are you going to go out and contribute to the world? Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. So with your dad, were was he doing experiments with you or did he? Because so I'll just tell you, my dad was a mining engineering uh, major in college and then he went on to become a patent attorney. But he made me think rocks were so cool. Like he talked me into doing uh, for the science fair, doing this whole thing on how everything comes from rocks. And I, you know, like a skateboard actually came from rocks. And I, I, so I look at rocks differently because that was, my dad would always be like, oh, this rock and, you know, this mineral. And so tell me what that was like with chemistry in your house. Did your dad do experiments with you? What was he doing to kind of foster that growing up? Oh, totally. I have some of the most hilarious stories. Um, I mean, it, at any given time when you opened up our refrigerator door on the side, mm-hmm. <laughs> there was always just a slew of lab labeled, so sample numbers on them, uh, different <laughs> formulas. Like I remember, you know, different growth factors and all kinds of different things that he was experimenting with uh, being there. I remember I, I couldn't have been more than maybe 12 years old. And he was working on um, one of the first microdermabrasion machines. Mm -hmm. And I remember that sitting on our kitchen table. And 
did my 12 year old skin need a microdermabrasion? Of course not. Did I beg to have it, you know, tried out of my skin? Naturally. <laughs> and I remember getting, you know, my first little gentle microderma treatment and just being so infatuated with really cause and effect. Just this idea that you could put something on the skin or treat the skin somehow mm -hmm. and there would be some type of a change and an impacted end result. Um, much like the rocks, right? It's crazy yeah. to think that you know, this started here and now it becomes the state where just the cause effect relationship is is really intriguing. And um, again, I think that helps you start seeing the world in a different way. And more importantly, helps you to see that your direct impact and involvement in anything in life can help predict and contribute to a unique outcome. Yeah, that is so cool. So tell me what you do with your kids as far as trying to foster that, because I really look at this daughter of mine that's eight years old who just is obsessed. Like she's always like, mom, why does, why does this work like this? Well, what, what's inside of there? Well, why is this happening? And I'm half the time I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> um, but what, yeah. What do you do with your own kids? I am so grateful for Google. That's all I can say mm -hmm. because, you know, when we were growing up, it was encyclopedias. Totally. And, and um, but truly, I think one of the greatest things we can do as parents, in my opinion, is to foster inquisitiveness. Mm -hmm. It is such a natural, innate desire that humans have. And at some point, and I don't know why, but at some point, that shuts down for a lot of people. Yeah. And I hope that for me as a parent, I never shut that down in my children. And let's be real, like real talk. We are, there are days when we are tired and we don't know the answer. And yeah. we're, you know, it's, yeah. I'm like, you've reached your question quota for the yes. day, right? And you just want to kind of, I don't know, you know, but I think it is important to um, empower our children. So as soon as they're old enough with supervision, of course, to say, you know what? I don't know the answer to that. And I think that's important. I think it's important to acknowledge that you don't know because if they think that, you know, especially when they're little and, you know, you are their hero, you are their world. Mm -hmm. um, if they think that mom knows everything or dad knows everything, and that is how you reach this certain, you know, state of being, um, I think that can be dangerous. I think it's important for our children to see that we're still learning and we're still growing, even as adults and big people. And, and to say, hey, you know what, Gracie, I don't know the answer to that, but let's find out together. And then as they get a little bit older, you know what, I, I, you know, that's a great question. I, I'm not sure why that happens that way. Let's look it up together or why don't you go research it and here's how, and then come back and let's talk about it. And I think empowering them with that confidence that, hey, if you don't know something, you can find out the answer. And secondarily, it's something that gives them such a, a deep sense of confidence yeah. That no matter what comes, and this has been like a key uh, core factor for contributor to, to success as I know it, um, is knowing whatever comes my way, even if I've never experienced it before, and many times I haven't, I will figure out a solution. Mm -hmm. And it may be messier than someone else's solution, different, but it's, I will figure it out. I know that I will figure it out. Yeah. And I think that starts at a very young age with those little questions of why does this happen and how can, well, let's go figure it out and let's go build the experiment. Let's go understand why this happens. 
Um, I think that's important. And I will tell you today, there are so many really cool science shows. Like I was watching one with Gracie a couple of weeks ago, just um, talking about the impact and velocity of wind and how it interacts with energy. And um, But they made it really fun. And we kind of talked through the show together. So I think there are so many more resources today than ever before that um, makes it really exciting for kids. Yeah, so true. I During quarantine, my kids were way into the Imagineer. It was like a documentary, kind of like a docuseries that Disney Plus, they had on Disney Plus of like, you know, how Disney is, their Imagineers, you know, bring these ideas to life. And my kids were obsessed with it. So it is so cool because um, I, just like you said, I feel like growing up, we had like Saturday morning cartoons and the encyclopedia, (laughs) you know. And Bill Nye, the science guy, but you know, (laughs) not a lot in between. Um, So there are just endless resources now, which is such a cool, it's a a really cool time to raise kids in that regard. Um, So you mentioned just briefly, you know, something about where you found success. So your, your company, Beauty Bio is massively successful. You guys just launched in Ulta. You're in like every major department store. You were telling me before we started recording that you just launched in a major, I think you were saying like a major store in Australia, right? Yes. Yes. Mecca. Mecca is kind of like the Sephora um, of Australia. So cool. So I want to know what you did growing up to learn there is no way that you've been this successful without being a really hard worker. So I just <laughs> want to know where that came from and how you learned to be a hard worker. Thank you so much. And um you know it's I'm I never dreamed that Beauty Bio would become as big as it is today. It certainly started out of just a, a deep passion and I'm grateful that it is grown to be what it's grown to be and, and help to impact um, people's lives. So that has been tremendous to, to be a part of. Um, I will tell you, my kids could probably repeat this back um, every, almost every night, I will say. Um, I tell my kids and remind them, you can do anything you want in life if you, and then I'll pause and they'll finish the statement for me, if you work hard and stay close to the Lord those two things, if you work hard and stay close to the Lord. And uh, my son's in basketball tryouts this week. And, um, you know, he's been, he's been working hard and it's a really, really competitive team. And I just said, you know what, buddy, leave it all out on the floor. And as long as you know that you have given 110% out on the court, Mm -hmm. whatever's supposed to happen will happen. And if for some reason you don't make the team, you know that everything you had in your sphere of control, you executed, it wasn't supposed to happen. And you can have peace with that. And I think I've been able to have a measure of that peace um, with regards to brand building, because I look back and know that I, I could not have worked harder. I have given everything that I have to give every day. And whatever happens with growth and whatever that looks like, whatever happens there was simply the course of what was supposed to happen. And I think um, as you embark upon whatever journey you're wanting to do in life, um, whatever stage you're in, there are little breadcrumbs that are happening in that moment that don't feel 
interconnected at all. And when you look back, you'll understand, oh my gosh, that experience helped me with this and this helped me with that. And um, it all comes together. And that's an incredibly beautiful moment, but you just have to trust the process and know that you don't have to see the end of the staircase before you take the first step. It doesn't have to always make sense. I think, especially as women, we put this enormous pressure on ourselves that we have to have it all figured out today and everything has to be running, you know, full court for us every second. And that's not always the case. I mean, when my children were really baby, baby little, Mm -hmm. um, I didn't sustain or have the travel schedule that, you know, pre-COVID I had. And once all of my kids were school age and in school, just how the cookie crumbles, that's, you know, when the brand really um, experienced tremendous growth. And from a timing perspective, it was such a better time for me because I didn't have a little newborn at home, for example. Yeah. So I think we just have to give ourselves a bit of grace and remember that there are seasons of life and it's okay to press the pause button for a minute to focus on whatever your priority is at that moment and what that looks like. And whether it's, you know, having a child or whether it's a super important career moment to you, whatever is your, you know, priority and, and, um, you know, how you gauge that. But just remember that oftentimes we see the really exciting beginning of something and then we see the massive end, whether it's a big exit or, you know, a brand really explodes, whatever it might be. And no one talks about or acknowledges the messy middle. There's actually a great book called The Messy Middle. And mm. that piece is what really makes or breaks the vision of what you're trying to achieve. And it's not always perfect. And there are days that are hard and you feel like you're running in peanut butter and all of those things. But um, it really is that chapter and the ebb and flow that will ultimately predict what happens as the end outcome. So I think just, again, as women, remembering that there are seasons of life and everything doesn't happen, have to happen today or right now, and everything will have its own due course of time and give ourselves permission to trust that process and let it unfold and work as hard as we can along the way, but know that it will all work out how it's supposed to. Yeah. I love that. I love what you said too, about what you teach your kids every night. That's so powerful. Tell me one more time. I want to remember exactly how you say it. I tell them you can do anything you want in life as long as you work hard and stay close to the Lord. That's incredible. And that has been, that's proven for me true time and time again in my life as well. So we, we definitely, we don't say it in that exact way, but we live by that same, that same mentality here. And I feel like every time we've, you know, really prioritized staying close to the Lord, it's like, he just always has a better plan. And that's been a theme for us. I'm so grateful. Yeah. I can't tell the number of times where I thought, oh, I, I did work so hard for this. And why did this fall apart? Or why did it happen this way? And if you will just keep your chin up, I promise you without fail, you'll look back and you'll go, oh, I, now I know why that, that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I just have so many examples of that. Something I wanted so badly that I, I, I just knew was going to be the quote unquote thing that mm-hmm. was going to make it all come together. And and um, there is no one thing. There is no one silver bullet or, uh, you know, critical thing that just changes the future of, of things 
typically, I mean, it's typically you might, that might be the thing that looks like it was the gray boomerang, but in, in reality, there's a, a myriad of other contributors that leads to an end destination. Yeah. Do you have any examples of that that you could share like a story? Or... Oh my gosh, for <laughs> sure. I remember I had a girlfriend who was friends with the producer of um, Oprah, mm-hmm. Oprah's television show. And this is back when she was still doing her favorite things. Mm. And it was one of our first products years ago. And she said, um, oh, I'm, you know, I'm going to get this to Oprah. And, you know, she's gathering all of her favorite things right now. And I just thought, oh my gosh, this is it. Yes. And this is a top seller for us. She's just going to love it. And it's going to be amazing. And I never heard back. Mm. And the reality is, I have no idea if he even made it to Oprah. It could have just been, you know, sitting in someone's, you know, wherever and, um, you know, ended up being someone else's Christmas gift. Who knows, <laughs> right? But in my naive state, you know, early on, I'm like, oh, this is, you know, this is it. And this is such a blessing. And this, is a... and who knows? The reality is, even if it hadn't made it to her, and even if she loved it, we had absolutely no way of scaling up the capacity that we would have needed if it had taken off. No way. Yeah. I mean, it would have like crumbled from within, fallen <laughs> flat because there's no way that we could have even scaled to meet that sort of demand. Didn't have the infrastructure. Did like It would have been, you know, it was like, I think we had two employees, maybe one at the time. I mean, it was just, there's no way. Yeah. And in hindsight, it was something that I was so excited about. And that's just a tiny experience. I've, you know, there's a gazillion others, but... It, it, it represents how we all think, oh, this one thing and this highlight moment and, you know, this whatever is just going to make it all. Um, and there are fun moments like that that do propel um, a brand, no doubt. I mean, when we received the Allure Best of Beauty Award and the Women's Wear Daily, like there, those moments definitely help move the ball forward, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, but don't feel disheartened if something that felt like the silver bullet uh, was going to all come together and it didn't. In hindsight, we couldn't have supported the growth if it had happened. And who knows if it did. And um, it was also a great example to share that anything that you can personally deliver, Mm -hmm. do that, right? Especially in the beginning. We have a gut instinct where we just want to kind of outsource and close our eyes. You know, Mm -hmm. like, oh, hopefully it works out. (laughs) I mean, if I had that relationship, I should have personally offered to bring it to the studio, made sure that it got to, you know, and I think as much in the beginning, especially as you can, um, control your destiny, that is really key to success because no one, no one will care as much as you do. No one will, uh, you know, put in the 150%, um, day in, day out, most likely that, that, that you will. And that's okay. Right. And, um, just like anything in life, you reap what you sow, Mm -hmm. you reap what you sow. So, um, I think really before you start down any adventure, really thinking through what that looks like and making sure as a family, you're on board with what that looks like. Right. Mm -hmm.
know exactly did beauty bio start before you met your husband or after or i know it had you know there was some life breathed into that from your childhood with the stem and science and chemistry interest but where exactly did that all start yeah so we launched in june of 2011 so nine years ago Mm -hmm. and we, I had just had, um, I just had Aubrey. Okay. I had Benton and Aubrey. So, um, yeah, Aubrey must've been maybe a year and a half. And so young kids, Mm -hmm. not the best time to start a business. (laughs) Um, however, it was one of those things that just came together and, um, HSN reached out to me. They had, I think, seen me on a morning show, something like this, talking about, you know, some of my skincare tips. And I had just started um, really formulating some products on a smaller scale for myself and friends and um, just kind of this natural wave that started to happen and um, had worked on some organic skincare that... um, during the recession was a bit ahead of its time. And um, we were just deciding how we were going to, you know, expand into that or not. Obviously, we're still a clean skincare brand. So that's been an important part of our DNA. And so I went on HSN and shared, I mean, it was like, if you've ever watched the movie Joy, it really is like that movie. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> you know, you step on that and you're like, oh my goodness, like my mom, my best friend, please buy one unit. Um, and we ended up, you know, selling out of our product in the first 12 minutes of launch, which was just, you know, incredible. Wow. To- yeah. Yeah. That does and- not happen with everyone that goes on HSN. Yeah. No, it was just such a, an amazing experience. And um, so we continued to grow that piece of the business. And um, at that time, I knew that we wanted to save up enough capital that we could expand into additional retail partners. Um, it is an incredibly capital intensive journey when you're selling at Sephora and Nordstrom and Neiman Marcus and everywhere that were sold. So mm-hmm. we really started on a smaller scale. And then once we had enough cash reserves that we could start building out a field team in store, we from there launched into Neiman Marcus first and gave Neiman Marcus a, um, about a nine month lead. And then we launched into Nordstrom. And then after Nordstrom, we launched into Sephora, mm-hmm. launched um, most recently into Ulta um, here in the US. And then a few years ago, we launched um, Harrods in London and Selfridges um, and then Holt Rimfrew in Canada, which is kind of like the Neiman's of Canada. Um, and then Nordstrom Canada, Sephora Canada, and then we just launched um, Mecca in Australia. So it's at the time, you know, young kids, I didn't anticipate the brand growing as rapidly and as large as it has become. Mm-hmm. So I was at a stage where I still wanted to be the one to take my daughter to, you know, two and three-year-old dance classes in the morning and, you know, be there to pick up my kids. And I think you just have to kind of pause and gut check with yourself. What are the things that are important to you? Mm -hmm. And I certainly didn't work the same schedule that I have today that I did when my kids were really little and um, were spending more time at home, right? So for me personally, my schedule worked 
really nicely because I could be with the kids in the morning and then put the kids down for afternoon naps, run up to the office for a few hours, um, come back when they woke up, do, you know, afternoon dinner. And then when they'd go to sleep again, I'd get back online and wrap up what needed to be concluded. And um, I think any journey you're on, having those moments where you pause is as it grew bigger, I had to have the conversation as a family, hey, how are we going to do this? And mm-hmm. is this something we want to continue to grow at this level? And what is that? What does that look like? And um, I grew up in a pretty traditional home. My mother has six children, my oldest brother's handicapped. So um, a lot of physical demands there. She is the most incredible optimistic person you will ever meet in your entire life. Um, I don't think I've ever heard her ever complain, ever lament, ever say a negative thing about anyone ever. She's just an angel. Um, and I think to your question earlier, just having both parents that are really hardworking parents. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it was never a question about working hard. Their example just spoke volumes and it was just the expectation, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's just, you know, following that example of hard work, but also you've got to pause and make sure that you have a shared vision with your spouse, especially. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if everyone's not on the same page, then that can, I think that could be a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, I, so I wouldn't, normally never make assumptions, but having followed you for quite a while and seeing that you posted about watching um, general conference, which our family did too. And then Mm -hmm. seeing that you and your husband met at BYU, um, I kind of put the pieces together that I think we're both members of the church of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting as I've talked to my therapist who, um, because I've been battling postpartum depression um, pretty heavily the last several months. It's gotten a lot better in about the last month or two, but um, Mm -hmm. I got hit really hard with my fourth baby who I had six months ago. And so we started meeting um, at first like twice a week and then once a week. And now it's more like every couple weeks or once a month. But anyway, we've talked a lot about the mom guilt and about how in a lot in our culture and as many other cultures, I'm sure that grew up with kind of traditional families, like you mentioned, um, that a lot of times when she said this to me, it made so much sense. And I don't know if it will resonate with you, but for me, she said, you know, as women in the church, a lot of times we downplay like working like, oh, I just have this side thing or yeah, I work, but not that much. And she talked to me a lot about how, you know, when Heavenly Father sent you here, Corinne, like he had a plan for you specifically to do specific things on this earth that would be helpful to other people. And, and as I've like really thought about that and worked through that, it's just been really helpful to me, but tell me what that's been like for you as far as, um, balancing like motherhood and yet what you feel called to do with your career and with, because I just, I really, and we haven't even talked adequately about your brand yet, but I love the integrity of your brand. I love, um, so many things about what you've done and just how well it's worked for my skin. So anyway, but to keep it on, on subject, talk to me about that balance of motherhood and also doing what you feel called to do. Thank you so much. And I appreciate your vulnerability and sharing your own journey with postpartum because that is 
so real for so many women and yeah, there should be zero guilt and saying, Hey, here's where I am right now. And these are, we are on this earth to go through those struggles and those struggles help us grow. I mean, there are, Oh my gosh, there have been times where I've just felt like I am like scraping the bottom of the barrel and it's in those moments that you grow and are humbled in such a way that you truly couldn't achieve the wisdom that you learn without having gone through those experiences. Mm-hmm. So um, they're so hard and no, no one welcomes them with open arms, trust me. Yeah. Um, but you know, when they come, it certainly is something that helps refine you into someone with a different perspective and I think a different level of empathy and um, helps strip away any any sense ever of judging someone or um, making an assumption because I think I'm just such a big believer in meeting people where they're at, your own yeah. self included, and giving yourself that grace to be able to say, you know what, would have done that differently in hindsight. Mm-hmm. And here's how I'm going to, you know, change going forward. Um, I think that one of my favorite books is by Dr. Carol Dweck. It's called Mindset. And it talks about having a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. And mm-hmm. as you said, culturally, I think um, oftentimes there is a fixed mindset, which means that something's wrong if you have to change. And um, I'll, I'll look at it through an academic lens. So that might make more sense. Um, I was always a straight A student and it took me time to work into more of a growth mindset because academia had always come fairly easily to me. Mm -hmm. So if I didn't get the A, it was like a personal knock at, are you not as bright as you (laughs) thought you were? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Which all it is, is, Hey, you need to work a little bit harder here. And there's this weird flip, you know, that I think we need to have in, you know, larger culture as well of, look, it is, we are here to grow and learn and it's, you know, 10,000 hour role and you've got to put the time in. Yeah. No one is born a genius and, you know, comes out walking and like, you know, writing symphonies. So um, some, I think it, it's easier, maybe for someone who only took 2000 hours to get there. And for me, it takes 20, but you know, we can all get there. And I think that is super, super important because so many people give up on themselves way too far and they never know what they, in advance, and they never know what they could have achieved if they would have just gone a little bit further. And ironically, what I've learned in my life is it's not even that much further. Mm -hmm. It's like, just when you're ready to give up, it's like exercise, you know, it's the last two or three reps that are uncomfortable that actually build the muscle. Like you just push through a little bit more, all of a sudden it just all opens up for you. It's the craziest thing. I have, gosh, I've seen that happen so many times. So I think um, to your point as women, and I hope this is something that we can change and have a healthier dialogue about. Um, I love seeing, I'm a member of the National Advisory Council for BYU. And I love seeing that we have a female dean this right now, which is phenomenal. And she's just- Oh, she's a D major is an absolute delight. And I've gotten to spend some time with her. Love her. Love that. And I think within that culture sphere, there's been much more of a of a focus on remembering that everyone is equally yoked, right? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because I was chatting with someone about this and and we were just talking about, you know, why is it that 
I think especially in more traditional mindsets, there's this idea that, and not to be inflammatory, but you know, many people feel like, gosh, you should just be staying at home. And that's, you know, the calling and that and to each their own. I'm a big believer. My sister has four kids and she's not working. It is everyone needs to do whatever feels right for them. 110%. Um, but we were chatting about how, you know, before the industrial revolution, women worked just as full-time as men. Mm. They were both up at 4 a.m. milking the cows and working the fields from morning till night. Like, Yeah, it was like family work. Yes, Mm -hmm. the heart all day long and it's equally yoked together. So it hasn't been until the industrial revolution that all of a sudden there's actually extra quote-unquote time during the day and everyone, you know, everyone fills their time in different ways. I think it is amazing I think in my opinion, I am happiest when I have something that I can, that is really intellectually stimulating to me. Mm-hmm. And maybe that is, you know, helping to volunteer. Maybe it's working with your favorite nonprofit. Maybe it is volunteering for the PTA. Maybe it is um, having a business. Maybe it is whatever that is and whatever that looks like for you. That is a personal journey and everyone has different bandwidths. Everyone has different interests. But I do think that for me, I am happiest when I feel like I'm stimulating, exercising my emotional and spiritual muscles in a way that feels personal and is hopefully contributing in a positive way. I agree with you that everyone does have to do, you know, what feels right for them. But um, I love your advice on that topic. So I want to ask you about something that is a burning question for me that actually someone put a bug in my ear about. It was my friend, Natalie Hill Jensen, that is our mutual friend. Yes. She and I were doing Marco Polo. Yeah, we were Marco Poloing the other day. And I mentioned that I was going to have you on my podcast. And at the same time, I think on that very same Marco Polo, I was kind of lamenting to her about leadership and owning a company and having employees and some of the things that um, were stressing me out in the moment. And she was like, you need to ask Jamie about this because she is an incredible leader, um, such an amazing girl boss. And so I, I want to ask you, you know, what are some of the things that you've learned about leadership? Just give me some of your best leadership advice as far as, you know, being the CEO of this really big company. Oh, well, thank you. It's, I'm, still on the path with you and still on the journey with you. And I, I truly learn every day. Um, it is leadership is lonely. I will just start there. Yeah. Um, Especially when you don't have a co-founder or someone that is like in the trenches with you every day. My sweet husband, I think has been an incredible sounding board to me. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, I think number one, it's important for you to have someone or a group that you can have bounce ideas off of and and kind of noodle through noodle through things. I think that's important. So whether that's I'm a member of YPO, and that's really one of the great benefits of of YPO and your forum is, of course, not speaking ever in individual names, but hey, you know, you're thinking about you know how do we work through this or there's a new agreement we're considering, so on and so forth. You know, I think just having someone that you feel that you can um, talk to is is important mm-hmm. um, as you're building and growing. I think secondarily, 
one thing that I have grown into over the years is really empowering your team members. I think it's it's easy in the beginning to want to always jump in and okay, well, here's what needs to happen and let's do this and da 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 da. And remember that you have you're bringing on incredible team members that are adding value and remembering to pause and say, well, you know, what are your thoughts, Susie Q? And <laughs> even though you might have a very clear point of view and exact know in your mind what you think should happen, I have found that we tend to arrive at a better solid conclusion when we're all able to come together as a team. And from a human nature perspective, all of us, myself included, want to be able to contribute. And I think it's important to create an environment where individuals are allowed to innovate and not simply execute and be able to pause and say, hey, I'm going to raise my hand here because here's how I think we can do this better. And hopefully have an environment that says, okay, well, let's think through that and you know, let's give it a go. Or, hey, no, I think this needs to stay in place because of X, Y, Z, but you know, here's how I think that we could improve the process. And again, that's kind of that growth mindset of being willing to say, we don't have it all figured out mm-hmm. in a perfect way every single day. Yeah. But I'm far more concerned in addressing never what happened than why it happened. I'm not, is it ideal to spend, you know, X thousands of dollars having to air freight something in because perhaps it missed its ordering deadline? Yes. However, I'm not going to dwell on that. And I'm going to focus that on, okay, so how did, how did that happen? Mm-hmm. What check and balance can we put in place so that we make sure the pre-production sample is here in time, we've had time to run it through its process and can um, next time uh, get it right and not have to, you know, absorb this extra margin dilution going forward. So I think allowing your team to feel empowered and to feel engaged in the process uh, creates a sense of natural ownership and accountability that, in my opinion, allows the team to really thrive and, and feel connected. Yeah. Yeah. I love that because a lot of times you hire these amazingly smart people and they do just have, I'm always blown away by how my team will just have better ideas than I do a lot of times. And I'm like, this is genius. Yes. Let's do this. Um, And I think too, what you said about systems are, that was something that I really had to learn. And when my husband came on and started working with me, he kind of forced me into that. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to, you know, continue to kind of keep it like a small shop feel and fly by the seat of our pants. And he was like, no, 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 (laughs) we can't do it this way. (laughs) And um, so I, I agree with so much of this and And it's just been so interesting to hear your journey and how, you know, how science really was such a cool thing for you that jump-started you into being the incredibly successful woman that you are. And, um, and really my favorite thing that you've talked about is, um, what you're teaching your kids and, um, with loving science and loving to be smart and think about how things work and then also, you know, rely on the Lord. Those have all been such amazing, amazing takeaways for me. Um, 
So I just have one last question for you that I always ask at the end of every interview. And that is, if there's one message that you want the people listening to this to remember, what do you want that one message to be? Oh my gosh, that's such a great question. And truly, thank you for having me. I feel like I want to flip this and listen to your entire story <laughs> and just hear everything. This has been this has been so much fun, uh, truly. I think if I had to, you know, pick one one piece of advice that has really helped me, especially when um, we're naturally feeling a bit stressed when there's a lot going on, especially right now in the world, there's a lot going on. 20, 2020 was, was um, a doozy Yes, I think for everyone. Um, so I think the message that I would want to leave with and really share is to assume the good, mm. assume the good. You know, I tell my team and we have a lot of women on the team and I think we can naturally be more passionately charged. Mm-hmm. Um, I is this, you know, when you receive an email, when you receive a text or a Slack or a song, you know, whatever platform you're using, um, pretend that whoever wrote it had a smile on their face when they did. Mm-hmm. And it totally changes your frame of mind. Um, and helps us to remember that, um, I believe that people are naturally good. I believe that when we're all functioning at the best version of ourselves, we can do incredible things and incredibly kind. Sometimes when we're not functioning as the best versions of ourselves, some of the things that we don't love come out and we have to, you know, pivot and and get back on track, but allow everyone the grace of a bad hair day. Yeah. Right. You know, you can never judge someone from one interaction or one experience. You have no idea what they're dealing with or what was going on or how you would handle it. And, you know, a similar situation. So I think just assume the good. And, um, that for me has been really helpful to keep perspective and to stay calm and to know that everyone's, you know, I I think ultimately well-intentioned and, um, assume the good with, with those that you interact with. And if they don't have your best intention at heart, then that's their, their situation, you know, let them deal with that. But, I have found a lot of peace in my life by whatever I can control and contribute to, to try to do that the best way that I can. And if I offend someone or I, you know, not being the best version of myself, apologizing, owning those actions, uh, trying to pivot, understand and, and do better and, you know, give yourself and give others that same grace and, and assume the good. I love that so much. And we could all use a healthy dose of that right now. So thank you so much, Jamie, for all of the incredible stories and wisdom that you've shared with us. Where can people find you and find your brand if they want to follow along with you and your entrepreneurial journey and motherhood and all the things that you're up to? You're so sweet. Um, My handle is at Jamie Canyon. And I really do try to share all of the inner mixings of exactly work and motherhood and um and a grateful we've created a, a beautiful kind community and that's been just such a such a joy and grateful for women like you who are doing what you're doing every day and being such an example um with the platform that you built as well it's it's incredible and i hope that as female founders and as as women living in 2020 we can Um, help to encourage each other to lift each other and um, build something beautiful in the future. So thank you for having me and being so generous with your time. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jamie. Thanks everyone. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. 
Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.